0: I love that Buck Swope. Buck Swope's an interesting cat. This is as creepy a guy as you'll ever encounter. That's right,
1: Buck Swope. Buck Swope, who Doug really is not comfortable with Buck Swope. Kind of a shutter spook. Swope's one of the best in the business for my money. Buck Swope. Buck Swope asked Doug his preference on shrubs. Ah,
0: (laughs) I may sue Buck Swope. Buck Swope is struck.
1: I'm pretty high on Swope. If we need an old audio clip, Swope's going to have it. Why? Oh no! I just know he does. The wonderful Buck Swope. You know Buck Swope? Well, yeah. I seem to have kind of an issue with Buck Swope. Right. It always goes back to Swope. Buck, Swope. Buck Swope. Buck Swope. Buck
2: Swope. Buck Swope. Mr. Buck T. Swope. What's up, kids? You're listening to Swopes Picks, episode 28. Joe Strauss and hashtag Our Town. A little later, we'll be joined by Tim McKernan. But right now, let's flash back to May 2015. Well, get on with it, motherfucker. Get on with it, motherfucker. Oh, get on with it, motherfucker.
1: 706 in St. Louis, you are listening to the Ryan Kelly Morning After on CBS Sports 920 and Inside STL.com Live from the Gateway Buick GMC Studios. Timothy Michael McKernan, Jennings Randolph Jr. And what a special treat we have for you this morning as the great Joe Strauss is in studio with us. Joe, welcome to PP Talk.
3: Yes, uh, that is what I've walked into, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jennings' today's show will likely be a lot different than yesterday's show.
3: I would
4: think so, as it as it appropriately should be with with a person of Joe's stature. That's
3: right. Caliber. <laughs> I didn't listen yesterday. Did, did the uh, go back and podcast? Did it de- degrade into depravity yesterday? <laughs> it, it,
4: we, we've got we, we created a fight. We chatted with the lesbian.
3: Yeah, that's a regular thing, though.
4: Yeah, I guess that's not a big. That thing. that
1: might happen today. Janie, the lesbian. She's good people. She wants to play tennis with me, but I injured my wrist playing tennis. Uh,
4: I'll
3: withhold comment on all
1: that. Yeah, that led to a number of uh, texts. You can text in Buffalo Wild Wings text inbox. I'm with Joe here. We're going to cover a a wide variety of topics. One of my favorite reads, and I had Willie printed out, is uh, Joe's uh, Wednesday chat on stltoday.com. It's it's all-encompassing for uh, St. Louis area sports, and on top of that, uh, you're not afraid to... uh, Uh, Give it right back to the people asking you questions, which makes it entertaining as well as informative. From the 314, the Cardinals should have signed Nelson Cruz and kept Miller and Jenkins. John
3: Mazelik blew it. Hayward is useless. Okay.
4: (laughs) (laughs) A little little early. (laughs) An
3: American League player, PED guy. Of course, they've crossed that bridge before, but... Nelson Cruz should have gotten a World Series ring from the Cardinals in 2011. His presence <laughs> in right field in game six enabled the Cardinals to win that. But, you know, wherever, you know, hindsight's an easy instructor. And, uh, yeah, Cruz is having a great power year for the Mariners. But I didn't, I didn't hear a groundswell of support for that move at the time. Uh, Jennings, do you know Ellen? I- I've been involved in calls with Ellen, but I don't know her. Uh, she, uh, Hi, guys. Hey, hey, Ellen. How are you doing?
4: Good. How are you doing?
5: Good. Hey, I had a couple of questions for Joe, and one is sports-related and one's just kind of socioeconomically related. Um, one That word has never to... been
3: said. Oh, somebody's <laughs> going to have to define that wow. before I can answer Cowboy's
5: grabbing a dictionary no, right now. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Joe's plenty ready for it. Um, when you talked to Tom Stillman, did you sense any frustration with Doug Armstrong? Because I'm trying to figure out how so far he kind of seems to be you know, unaffected by all of this in terms of his security within the organization.
3: I did ask Tom point-blank, how do you evaluate, you know, what Doug has done? And he Mm -hmm. abstained from answering because he he, he said going into the interview, I don't want to get into any personnel. I don't want to get into any specifics. This is an ongoing evaluation, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But your question is one that a lot of fans have asked, and I think it does deserve an answer. I frankly think Armstrong has done as I said, a good to very good job. But typically when, when the, when it, when the stuff hits the fan, right. it, it it goes from the ground up in terms of who, who, who get, who feels the, the wrath first. So right. my right. guess would be if there's a change among the two, Hitch would go first and then Doug might be on the clock, but Doug would be Stillman's call. And I don't think Tom Stillman is ready to go there in terms of a complete organizational uh, makeover uh, right. especially when you know that he can take solace in the fact that they just came off a central division win and they've you know won over 50 games the last two years the, the question becomes are they winning because of the coaching or because of the, or the talent and then they get to the postseason and for whatever reason the system breaks down and doesn't translate that's what they're going to have to answer in my in my belief in the next in the week next week or so mm-hmm.
5: interesting um and then my second question is: I lived in Washington uh, in the mid '90s, and every once in a while, when I would get homesick for St. Louis, I would go to Baltimore. And since you lived there, do you see a lot of similarities between St. Louis and Baltimore as I did, or um, is it just one of? There's just a lot of brick there. So I've said like, <laughs> I've, I've said many
3: times on uh, my previous show, and I think even on this show, there are no. Two more similar cities in, in the United States than Baltimore and St. Louis, and that, in many ways, is a bad thing. But uh, it's, it's yeah, a, it's that unfortunate. Is
5: provincial, isn't it? it very, really very, is.
3: very provincial. Very backwards thinking. Very defensive. Uh, mm-hmm. Little brother co- complex. St. Louis with yeah. Chicago, Baltimore <laughs> with Washington, and uh, it's a shame because both cities have such great potential, but yeah. they've, it's gone unrealized for so long. But I'm totally on board with where you're coming from.
5: Yeah. Well, Joe, it's an honor to talk to you. I'm a big fan. So, uh thanks for hearing me. Look
3: out. at this, Ellen. You're not interested in
1: any else, but Strauss comes in and it's like George Clooney's sitting next to me. <laughs> well, That's didn't... another analogy I've heard a lot <laughs> <laughs> That's
5: Right. And I was just gonna ask you, uh, your life compared to George Clooney's. <laughs> no, I um, no, I am. I'm a big I'm a big Strauss fan and I uh, I laugh on Twitter every time you tweet out something and the I laugh at what you're trolling, and then I also laugh... Trolling? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Right. minute. <laughs> you no, know, pardon me. I mean, you're very interesting, spot-on takes that uh, some people in our community seem to take
3: offense to, so... I would never seek I'll... to offend. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All
5: right, fellas. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Now, Thank
3: I, uh, I actually heard it before I even came here. I, I was talking to people before I took the job here. I said, what do you think of St. Louis? And they would say, what do you think of Baltimore? And I said, oh, okay. but, mm. But... That said, every, you know, St. Louis's reputation as a baseball town is unrivaled, and I came here to cover the Cardinals, and don't regret the move at all. Uh, at the time, Baltimore was in the pits of the industry as far as a baseball franchise, and it unfortunately killed off a lot of the fan interest in the, in the Orioles. But they're, they're starting to come back. They're not all the way back, but that is a great baseball town, too, when treated properly.
1: Is there any other—and I ask this sincerely. I really do— I don't I can't think of any other airport that's even remotely close in poor setup and uh population and activity Use. uh than Lambert. It, and it it is a gateway to a city and it is it's really, you know, it's a disaster. It just makes me feel horrible. Yeah. Like it's already kind of rough anyway coming back, but but, <laughs> that, but then that's like that's like the kick in the balls when it's you It's the laugh. first
3: thing people see when they get to St. Louis and it's like they land at seven thirty at night, and they and they get off the plane, and they're walking through the terminal, and the terminal is already shut down. Yeah, the stores are <laughs> and then they enough. get in the cab, and it's five dollars to pull the flag, and before you're over the parking lot, you already owe eight, the, the hack eight bucks. It's just like, <laughs> where did I, where did I take the wrong turn? I don't know.
1: I mean, it's it really yeah, it's, it's something to behold, and it, you know, it's not like I'm like. You know, traveling all over the place. My two destinations are pretty similar, you know, South Florida and Las Vegas. But uh, when I do travel, you know, outside of those two destinations, it's a. Am- there's nothing that's even comparable. As, uh, there's got, I mean, LaGuardia is a hellhole, but it's New York City.
4: I, there really is nothing. What has happened in the last five to ten years here to this airport is as bad as it gets anywhere. Yeah. And it I, really is.
1: And I don't, I mean, you know, I realize there in some cases, well, a lot of the case, extenuating circumstances. The TWA still, thing. Was yes, a of course. Giant. but Wow. Uh, and I know it drives you uh, up the wall. I mean, and I'm sure, you know, in, in, in sincerity, in moments of seriousness, you do actually try and figure out what's doing or what can be done or what is being done to try and turn it around. I don't what What is the
3: case there? I, I don't know. We, you know, when when I had the show, when we had the show earlier, we had the the executive airport, director of the airport on, and, you know, there was, there was a lot of happy talk about how things are getting better. And I get, but the thing... I think the way things are measured here is if they get, if you get a new if you get a a slushy station out there that's considered to be a big deal and when we're talking about huge tectonic shifts that need to occur here within this market and it's it's a chicken or the egg thing is it has the have the nonstop flights gone away because businesses have fled, or do businesses flee and refuse to come to the market because it takes them? You know, they have to make a layover in Salt Lake to get to to get to San Francisco or whatever. I mean, that's a bad analogy. You can go nonstop to San Francisco, but it's 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 just tough And a market. This this used to be the most overserved airline market in the country. Now it is arguably one of the most underserved, and it's just it's just depressing. It really is. And uh, I'm a big airport guy. Like, y'all, you know, I travel a lot. I could probably name you the top 10 airports, top bottom 10 airports in a heartbeat. But this one is, this one's circling the drain. And I, I wonder sometimes, is it because of city control? Would private, privatization help? I don't know. But, you know, it, it should be at least discussed, I think. One good thing is, though, so you can show up, you know, in half an hour before the flight and still make your plane. That, that's, that's, uh, that's rare among the uh, major airports nowadays. But... It should be so much more. It really should, and you know the the concessions out there are substandard, with a few exceptions. And uh, again, you get off a plane. If you're a business traveler, you get off a plane. You've been flying for three hours from the east or west coast. Oh God, just let me get to a bar. Let me get. A, and I don't even drink. And you get off there, <laughs> and everything is just shut down. It's it's you know it's just like seven thirty at night. What is going on? And if I walked into a you know, a senior's cafeteria or what, and uh, it's it doesn't change, and, and there's not even a discussion about it. That's what's so discouraging. There's not even a discussion about it.
1: I, I think one of the roots of the issues, and I could be off the mark on it, but it is the nature Nothing's that there's no change that's going to take place, and, and it's also, I think, one of the things that makes the city endearing uh, for those of us who do love it. Um, is that St. Louis is awfully unique in the fact that so many people who grow up here stay here, and so there isn't a lot of outside influence. And then furthermore, there isn't a lot of outside experience right. to compare and contrast. I do think that, like, my friends, you know, who who either have moved uh, since college and, and work in other markets, or moved and then came back and are now raising families here, we have this conversation. We love the city, and by the city, I mean the region and want to see improvements, and that is, that's is—that's usually the start of the discussion. You know, if I just, you know, was flying through here, and i go, God, that place, whatever, I don't have to come back all that often. What would you think? But but as somebody who's here, and I, I do believe, you know, um, there is, of course, potential. Who
3: is the most charismatic uh, politician in recent memory
1: in this state? I think the world of John Danforth. But you're going back 20-plus years. And I don't know that he was that charismatic. Charismatic. Uh, he was a leader, I think, well-respected, yeah. respected by people on the left and the right. Yeah. And uh, I, I, think the, I think fact. the greatest compliment I could pay to him right now is he couldn't get a Republican nomination these days. Correct, case, yep. Even though he was 15 years removed from being very close to yeah,
4: being the I, vice I, president. Joe, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I mean... Um, it, just,
3: it just seems like the stuff that becomes an issue here... It's the wrong stuff. I mean, keep keep keeping my politics out of it, who I vote for out of it. You have Claire McCaskill, the senior senator from the state, go public and rant about uh, something involving the NCAA or something involving pro sports or something like that. You look around at what's going on in Missouri and you're thinking that's what we want to grab a headline with. It's you know, th- I remember there. And, and again, I know I know what some of her causes are, and I think I think that some of them are well placed. But, for example, you had this huge controversy about the alleged gang rape at the University of Virginia. Rolling Stone story, right. a number of stories. There was a rush to get in front of that. There needs to be inquiry hearings, all this type of thing. This is rampant. Well, That that stuff never really happened. I mean, at least the anecdote that was used. And it's like saying that's a big issue, but at least make sure it's the anecdote you're using as a wedge is is legitimate. Again, it's just so diffuse in terms of where the emphasis is on things. Meanwhile, we're having a conversation about a city, a signature city within your state that is that is decaying and nobody has any legitimate answers about What can be done about it is businesses, you know, over the last decade have fled fled the region. It's, it's you know, the the lack of focus and emphasis is, is just startling to me.
1: The best and the brightest oftentimes, not all the time, but the best and the brightest oftentimes who are from St. Louis when they graduate from school. And even if it's the University of Missouri, they don't come back to St. Louis. Part of that is because there aren't the opportunities that there would be in either Chicago or New York, or if you want to look, you know, to the West. And so I don't think that's the way it was in the 70s and the 80s, to an extent in the 90s, but it most definitely is for my generation. And I don't know why it is. I just know that in my little sample size that it is and then i think it sets the tone for a void of leadership if you don't have the best and brightest necessarily inclined to stick around
3: but here's my question where are the younger political voices in in this region it's people who who may who, who have been closer to college who, who have been maybe elsewhere and come back who 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 look at things a little bit differently it, it just seems like that isn't that's not what people are looking for here. And that's unfortunate because I also lived in a town or a city, Atlanta, well, yeah. where, you know, all the things we're talking about that kind of hold St. Louis back are what have propelled a city like Atlanta. You, you have people from all over the place going there. You have a fantastic airport. It's a uh, people, you know, when I moved to Atlanta in 83. It was shortly after the missing and murdered children situation. Atlanta was stereotyped as this racially polarized city. You know, you, ooh, you better, you better be careful down there. Don't, don't drive around with your car unlocked. Atlanta is in, exponentially better in terms of race relations than a vast majority of the cities in this country, including St. Louis. And yet, I, I don't know. It's, it's just baffling how how places can be so different. And. Are, and in St. Louis's case i perceive comfortable being as it is even though there's such potential here that, that it remains unrealized that's that's what's frustrating to me it's not that i think st louis is is a is a super fun place but it has potential that isn't really being exploited wildly entertaining stuff guys wildly entertaining stuff guys joe you wanted a culture club so here it is boy you kind of organic. organic. <laughs> you just figured that out. You ask him how that he comes through.
2: Yep. I, I didn't really do a good job of picking out a song. I just clicked on the first one that came it seems up. seems
3: like a Weeman uh, <laughs> preference here.
1: We haven't talked to the uh, Plowboy yet today here. Joe Strauss filling in for uh, Doug. Jennings filling in for the cat. Uh, Plowboy, uh, pretty exciting. Yesterday as you unlocked uh, Harry. On uh, Nintendo 64 Golf, congratulations to I you appre- and the Plow Girl.
6: I appreciate it, and uh, I just thought I'd tweet it out there because it has been a long two-day struggle. You know, I was up four with five to go, and I ended up hitting one in the water on 18, so it was difficult. But I uh, ended up pulling it out, and uh, I think Mario is my next one today.
4: And, and this is Mario Golf you're playing?
6: On the 64, one of the best of all time.
4: It's wanna, certainly a lot different than like the EA game.
6: You don't get the graphics, you know, the greens, you can't really tell the tilt, you know, right. if it's a two foot up or a two foot to the right. So it's a little bit more difficult, but I think that helps me when I play a Tiger Woods or something because I can go through. I've never
3: heard of a green referred to as a tilt before. But <laughs> I love the screenshot he put
4: up on yeah. Twitter. <laughs>
1: Yep, and then I, like, retweeted it, thinking, like, one person would be like, oh, that's And then it got a bunch of retweets and favorites. <laughs> My God,
4: wow. Certainly validation on the, uh, on the smoking situation. Now, you make it a point that you do not wager on baseball.
3: No, never. Do
1: not. Uh, do, how do you view daily fantasy sports? Not that you would be doing it anyway, but would it still fall under that umbrella for you? Or
3: It's a little bit different. Uh, obviously, um, MLB sees it as different. Uh, yes. <laughs> Boy, do they ever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I don't I really don't have a problem with it. Uh I don't do it. But uh and 'cause I don't do it because I think if I started doing it I'd g i would I would get addicted to it to yeah, be honest. It
1: is uh, it is. It, but it's so fun. God, I love doing it. I and like I said, when I'm watching baseball these days, uh it's like Sam Ace Rothstein in Casino. I have all the games up.
3: One thing we overlook with the Cardinals because we you know you fixate on the Blues and what they've gone through and how it doesn't matter what they do in the regular season because right. there's this fatalistic approach about what's going to happen afterwards. The Cardinals, by contrast, have built up a lot of equity with what they've done in October the last decade plus. So say they were to make the playoffs this year and say they were to lose in the first round. You think people would be down there with which pitchforks no. trying to storm the Bastille? I don't think so because... They've built up this equity, and you know now it would only be four NLCSs in five years if they don't get there. So I do think the Cardinals are cognizant of that and bake that into their thought process when people are screaming for them to do this or that. If it works out, great, love it. If it doesn't, it's not as though you know, this has been some stiff organization. Yeah, yeah. That's, the- a,
1: that's a, that's a yep. interesting line of thought because it conflicts with – My theory, not even theory, really a question, if you're looking at some of the guys who have been the core of this group in this run of success over the last five seasons, in particular, such as Holiday, such as Molina and uh, Wainwright, although he wouldn't be a part of it, do they feel like they need to make the move to try and maximize the return on those guys before the decline would set in
3: well look at 2011 yes they make the Rasmus deal it's a transformative move they win the World Series Mo was prepared to walk away from that season he was prepared to say this team is not does not have what it takes to get done it took a come to Jesus meeting that uh, Tony La Russa basically was the catalyst for to get in front of DeWitt and saying you make a move you get me this I think we're still a live team and I'm not saying Mo fought him on it, but Mo was kind of a passenger on that conversation. Hmm. And the sell job was to DeWitt give us a shot. We can do it. They did it. If you remember, the team still languished for a while after they made those trades. Yeah. And Tony basically had to go to Carpenter and say, you know, call a clubhouse meeting, appeal to these guys' pride. I see this team trending toward a 500 finish. They have the meeting coincidentally things turned on its head the Atlanta Braves choke and, and the rest is history but you know that was Albert Pujols' last season and yet Mo I think was ready to say you know huh, I'm just not ready to invest I'm not ready to move all in on this season with what you know I've seen for four and a half months but the they, they changed it. They, they traded Rasmus, and it worked out. But again, if I ever write a book, it'll be about that season because there's just so much in there, so much dynamic, so many personalities, and ultimately this this decision that was hardly unanimous and hardly one that realized instant return that became transformative. And I've always said, Tim, always said, Jay, what happens if on the last day of the 2011 season, the Cardinals lose and the Braves win. Braves go to the playoffs, Cardinals don't, Tony walks away, Dunk walks away, Albert walks away. There's suddenly a crisis within this organization for an identity because at that point they would have only made the playoffs one of the last five years. But no, they pull it off, they win the World Series, this incredible thing we'll probably never see again. And it sets them on a course from which they've never deviated since. But if they lose that, who knows? Maybe they feel they have to keep holes at that point because there's this identity crisis within the organization and people are pissed because they've missed the playoffs four times in five years and they can't get away from Albert. I, I just think it that stretch run may be the most pivotal series of events in this franchise, and during the DeWitt ownership. I mean, that includes the McGuire acquisition because I think they go a different path if they don't if they don't make the playoffs in 2011.
1: Really uh, fascinating thought process there because you're right. You take yourself back to that moment, and yep. they, they hadn't won a playoff game since Wainwright struck out Brandon Inge because they were swept right. out by the Dodgers in 2009, even though that was a damn good team. But you're right. My God, what uh, what direction does it cha- take? And then LaRusso's departure and Poole's departure... Uh, what wouldn't, a dramatic have, wouldn't have been um, yep. as easily taken, nope. to say the very least, had that not and happened.
3: They, and if Tony leaves and they don't go to the playoffs in 2011, can they hire Mike Matheny? I don't think so. I don't think you can hire a guy uh, with his lack of experience when you're in – that kind of dr- relative drought as an organization. I think they have to go out and make a serious play at Terry Francona at that point. He might not, but Matheny might not
4: have even been under consideration. Joe's right. Well, let me ask you this, because I have been of the opinion, and it's strictly
1: speculative, but that Matheny knew he was going to be the manager before the end of the 2011 season. This is not based on any intel. That's not correct. I just, I believe that some of it has to do with my own situation uh, with Mike, because if you remember, Mike he was, was doing, doing a show. yep. And uh, I think the final regular season game, or no, it was Game Five, the famous Halliday Carpenter Game Five in Philadelphia, and he just t- he was like, "I'm done with with doing radio." He goes, it's "Another nothing He goes, "I just I'm done and I'm I'm moving on." He goes, "I would because we were talking on the phone." He goes, "It'd be great to come on and talk about it because I caught both those guys." You know, this is before what wound up being, not necessarily surprising, a classic Game Five. Uh, but he had moved on, and he had let me know that he wanted the last show uh, to be the last show in the regular season. I'm like, okay, does he know – well, I didn't think at the time, playing the hand back, because, of course, I didn't know Larusa was retiring, uh, that, uh, that he knew, and therefore it was time for him to get away from hosting shows. But you're saying that is
3: not the case? I'm just basing it on what conversations we've had. I think going into that interview situation, he – thought he was maybe getting a courtesy interview. But coming out of the interview, I think he realized he had a real shot at it. But, you know, walking into that room with Mike Jer- who is
1: that? Which one? Matheny. Matheny, Matheny, yeah. Matheny thought
3: he was getting a courtesy interview. I think when you walk in there, you know, because he knew Terry Francona was on the list, too. And why do you have Terry Francona on the list if he's not a serious candidate? As it turns out, that may have been the courtesy interview. right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, with Mr. DeWitt, Moe. Mike Jurgensen. It all kind of clicked. Well, I think I think with Mo, the fix was in. Matheny was Mo's guy, right. and as Richard said, Mo was very persuasive with with Mister DeWitt. They worked very well together. Uh, Mo had been prepping Matheny for this for a number of years. You know, again, Mike Mike may have thought he had a better shot than he's letting on to me, but I certainly didn't think when that when that process started that Mike Matheny was going to emerge as manager. I I, I Then after the interview process was over, I started hearing stuff that, hey, Mike is Mo's guy. I still wasn't totally convinced, but... Obviously, uh, Mo, Mo was very persuasive during the process.
1: Getting a lot of uh, compliments on today's uh, program. Obviously different than your uh, standard uh, program, but uh, appreciate the insight, the thoughts. Uh, and, and boy, that would be a fascinating book. I mean, I know Tony wrote the book about the, two, the 2011 season, uh, but this, this would be a This would be different, a little different. This is, He didn't, he be didn't a little, go into where I'd you know, go. <laughs> I was about to say, this would be the unauthorized uh, biography or autobiography of the uh, 2011. Have you ever Carl's done a book, be Joe? Fascinating.
3: I've contributed books. I've never... Done your own? Done my own.
1: Uh, That would be a a hell of a read. That's uh, for certain how seriously you're thinking about doing it.
3: Just to, you know, there are two things, the time that need to commit and how much money you'll give me up front. I mean, I'm pretty You're asking me. A <laughs> I'm pretty,
4: I'm pretty bottom line guy. You own the parking yeah, lot. Yeah,
3: I guess so. I guess yeah, so. I'm not going to do it on the Private equity top. group.
1: Let's go, let's go there. Uh, Debbie Downer, Joe the Droopy Dog. Hope you get mauled by a bear. That comes from Iggs. I don't know what. Who did it come from? Iggs. I don't think oh, it's Iggy. Oh, I don't think so. But I don't know what Joe's saying that is so upsetting. I don't. I honestly don't know. I think maybe it's the Twitter persona. No doubt. And then people just listen, and then they hate you, and so they hate whatever you have to say. I'm th- Again, I'm theorizing here. But, I mean, nothing you said there was, if anything, the stuff in the 8 o'clock hour on uh, St. Louis, I would think that would have gotten more people upset, but uh, I- I'm able to say it because I'm a St. and I guess. But that didn't get upset, but for whatever reason, I don't know what you said here that really— piss people i guess when you start talking hockey if you're not viewed as a hockey guy you're not allowed to talk hockey but then if you don't talk hockey then you get bitched at for not talking hockey one of the great fascinating paradoxes of the st louis sports uh, market
2: maybe the truth just hurts tim oh wow. Willie, Willie
1: from the book depository no no, no 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 no. i think
2: it's <laughs> too yeah I'll, 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 take that both ways then go ahead joe's a very realistic guy though I think that's sometimes that the reality of things.
4: Well, a lot of sports fans kind of live stays. in, you know, uh, a, a utopia. But I, I, don't, I don't understand of the last like
1: 15 minutes no. I've been bouncing these like, considering like if there's the been anything all that controversial. No.
3: But whatever, I just think my from... take on this market has always been that people's perception of media is that media are here to enable them. Make us feel better about ourselves. Tell us what we want to hear. Don't tell us what we need to hear. Don't tell us what's really going on. Tell us how good we are make us feel better because I got to go to the airport today and I got to make two connections to get to Portland, Oregon. So make me feel better. So whatever. But uh, again, if, if, if I'm saying something that's wrong or you think is, is factually uh not based in reality tell tell us
1: uh, a lot of texts coming in joe speaking the truth football baseball sports galore i'm like a hooker yelling more 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 that's from engine joe's cave ride magic man i think that was a compliment uh it's not what joe says it's how he says it like we're wasting his time that's from the 314
3: well that's true that's a good observation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean I'll... you gotta remember who i'm in the studio with <laughs>
6: Strauss, I will say that I brought this up the other day. My dad listens every day, and you are by far his favorite. So
3: there you go. That. Look at that. Well, how old is your dad? He's fifty-eight. Yeah, that's not the primary demographic this shows. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're, we're kind of trending in a teen.
3: They're looking. Li- they're, <laughs> looking <laughs> they're looking. <laughs> they're looking for the crack meth uh, markets. So uh, kids in their I first. Think we, I think we found it actually. Especially <laughs> Joe, you seem to be mildly fascinated by the Plowboy. That's a bad read. (laughs) Wildly entertaining stuff, guys. Wildly entertaining stuff, guys. When we were in Ireland, I told
7: this before, but I consider one of my uh, crowning moments. We went to one of these medieval castles in Ireland, the whole family, and we walked in, and they're all in character. And uh, much to my father's chagrin, I said, this is me father, and he prefers, he's a gentleman who prefers the company of other gentlemen. (laughs) And for the rest of the trip, my father was mad
1: at me. <laughs> well, also, he should have been. You introduced the old master painter as an older gay gentleman. He's your father. So what, he switched it up later in life?
7: <laughs> no, he didn't. I was, Doug says I'm sometimes the prince of... Dis- prince <laughs> of misinformation. And so I pulled that on
1: my dad, who was not not too happy about I it. I wouldn't think that he would have. Been. Uh, Doug, Buck Swope just uh, uh, sent, Buck me a, yeah, sw- sent me an instant message on Facebook, and he says he doesn't have... The video he has the audio, so that video may be lost forever. God, oh, what a shitty. Oh, someone's got it. Bothers oh, me. Hey, uh, that Joe Strauss is with us on the appliances kind of phone lines. Morning,
0: Joe.
3: What's up, guys? And I'm, I mean that sincerely because I've been listening for two minutes and I have no idea where the show is going. <laughs> Neither do we, Joe. Really Neither go do we.
0: Put that off. It's killing time.
7: So, what do you want to talk about?
3: <laughs> I thought that was your job to kind of pose the question. I mean, we had an off day to reflect about the uh, local nine. uh,
0: <laughs> nine. Let's talk Don't about the local, local nine. When they do get some of the hitters back, uh Holiday and Adams, and I see John Jay's making the trip on the west coast with them. When they get them back, some of these guys won't have played for like three months. and Holiday's only had a handful of at bats over the course of the last two, two and a half months. Are you concerned at all that when they get to the postseason, they're going to have to rely on people that are re- really have not been playing?
3: No, Holiday while good at the start of the season, has missed more games than he's played. Adams has been gone seemingly forever. So how much exposure do you give these guys on a daily basis, not only to protect them but to protect the lead? Uh, I don't know. I think that's going to be a fascinating element in September. This team typically plays very well in September, and I still think it will be predicated on the pitching. But you've got guys like Richick who have evolved and deserve, you know, everyday exposure, Piscotty, who is becoming something of a factor. I think it's a real compelling question, and it's really going to, I think it's going to probably evolve into something of an organizational decision.
1: Caller Ellen uh, texted in and said, uh, please ask Joe about this week's STL Today chat. He dispensed a lot of tough love. That comes from Caller Ellen, and I already had your chat uh, transcript up. So I thought this question uh, that was posed to you and then your answer. Um, was fascinating. And I, I think it uh, it speaks to a bigger uh, discussion than sports. Joe, believe it or not, this is one of my favorite sports chats. I participate in others from papers in different states, and you are among the best. I can live with your condescending snark and appreciate the humor. Thank you for your time and expertise. After being here for 13 years, why do you not consider yourself one of us?
3: We were getting into some of the issues confronting the, the city and the region, and I was somewhat curricular with what's going on, as, as a lot of others are, and people, some people took umbrage at it. And I, I just made the point that my first job out of college was in Atlanta, which at the time was just emerging from the missing and murdered children tragedy uh, that, that basically ripped that city apart. Uh, and then we see what happened to Atlanta after that. It's an international city. It, it, it obtained an Olympics, largely through the cooperation of civic leaders, uh, both white and black. Uh, Atlanta has serious problems. It still does. Traffic's a mess. There's still, you know, political tomfoolery there that has put some people in jail. But again, I mean, when I went to Atlanta, I was told, you know, keep your windows rolled up, keep your head down, blah blah blah. It was it really wasn't like that. And then, you know, years later, here I am, which is great. But it just seems like the same discussions this team, I mean, this <laughs> this city was dealing with 10 or 15 years ago are still in front of it. And it's just kind of a a treadmill type of deal. And Atlanta is a city that reinvents itself every 20 years. And it's become, I I think, one of the arguably top five cities in the nation. And St. Louis, I think, has so much potential, but there's so much frustration that's built up because it just seems like so many are enamored of the past as opposed to challenged by the future. And I I just – I've always come to – it's always been difficult for me to come to grips with it and, Tim, I know you guys, you know, you're from here your, your entire life. I sense you feel some of the same frustrations. And, I, you know, I pin some of it on just the reluctance to look to outside answers. I mean, not every answer has to be generated from those who have lived here all their lives. And that's part of why Atlanta, for example, became a, became such a celebrated city. It, it solicited people from outside its region, outside the state, outside the nation. It's an international city. I'm not saying St. Louis eventually... Will become a top ten market again, but I certainly think most would agree that things could progress past where they are right now.
1: I'm currently reading uh, "Dethroning the King." Have you guys read that, by the way? No, no, you haven't. It's fascinating. I can't. I really. It's one of those. Uh, I can't put it down. And it's about the uh, Inbev purchase of Anheuser Bush and all that leads into it. And there's a sentence in it, paragraph, whatever the case might be that really so far has stood out to me and it really has nothing to do well it's it's more of a it's it's a micro statement based on what was transpiring at the time but i think you can apply it to this discussion and what you're specifically saying right now joe from a macro perspective and that was that there were a number of people at the brewery who loved to be the guy in the neighborhood in their subdivisions who everybody knew they could come over to get a free case of Budweiser or oh, Bud yeah. Light.
0: I think everybody had that neighbor.
1: And they and they loved it. Uh-huh. And 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 that was the biggest deal in the world to them and they didn't want to lose that because they thought and again I'm paraphrasing here, don't have the book in front of me, uh that the sun uh rose and the sun set in St. Louis. And so it was a case of not really talking to many people on the outside of St. Louis. And I think what happens here perhaps more so than other places. I've been told that uh, Seattle's really provincial, which is surprising to me. I mean, I've been there a number of times, but I don't know enough about the area to, to know if that's accurate. I've actually been told San Francisco's provincial, which strikes me as really bizarre. But cities such as Atlanta and Dallas, uh, and of course LA, Chicago, and New York must, most definitely would be considered transient. But to, to compare and contrast, I feel like St. Louis, as Doug has always said, if you grow up here, you live here, it's like the Roach Motel. Once you go in, you never come out. Personally, I like that, but it also the thing that disappoints me about it is that people who aren't from here oftentimes are either distrusted or thought to not necessarily know what they're talking about because they're not from here. And I kind of view it the other way that they aren't from here and therefore they have some ideas that they can perhaps infuse into the dialogue that may benefit a city that I think, I don't care if you love the city or dislike the city, you would acknowledge it's not necessarily trending upward. And so some outside ideas may benefit as opposed to just automatically distrusting them as if they're too, um, you know, outsiderish or progressive or whatever the term might be.
3: I've never worked a city hall beat here. You know, I write sports, but you know, it just seems, for whatever reason, politics here just seems kind of like a gerbil wheel. It just keeps going round and round, and nothing really changes. And I think that's unfortunate. You know, what's wrong with a new voice, a new op- option? Geez, even maybe a second-party alternative in this town. And I-, I just don't see where a city that is kind of trying to grind its way through tough times shouldn't be open to – the possibility of, of, of greater change. It, it just seems like the, the same things we're talking about now were being discussed 10 or 15 years ago. Okay, the mayor got control of the police. Okay, what's changed? Now suddenly we don't have enough police. Um, you know, the, the, the murder stats, I mean, it's that's beyond embarrassing. It's, it's, it's beyond tragedy. I mean, just read the front page of the paper today. And that's what, that's what has become St. Louis's stigma. And whether people here think that's an issue or not or being exploited by the media whatever that's the perception of this town outside its borders and if you don't think that affects the future of this city i think you're deluding yourself it's it's not just self-perception it's outside perception that that shapes the team shapes the town's future i've seen it i lived in baltimore which has a lot of similarities to st louis a lot of a lot of negative similarities and you see what's going on there now so i just think sometimes it would really help if if maybe the civic fathers or people who who lived here much longer than I were able to maybe detach themselves just to a degree and say, okay, we've tried this for a long time and we're kind of in this rut. What what damage would it do to to seek an alternative, not not sacrificing, you know, the city or the regions, you know, what's good about it, but trying to augment what's good about it and and, and suppress what what's bad about it.
7: As I was told, it's because you have too many people. Fighting for the status quo because they don't want to lose their own little power, their own little fiefdom, and that's what you have all over the city. That's why so many people fight what appears to be positive change because they don't want to give up what power they have, and that's and that's a problem for the city. See, and taxi commission
1: versus Uber.
3: I'm not a big city county guy. I mean, I, I I don't you know I live in the county. I know at one time the count the the, the, the city rejected the county. You know, there's a lot of historical stuff that maybe I'm not. Super familiar with, but it seems like it's it's an an equitable exchange for a merger right now. But I tell you what, if if both the city and the county were to were to clean up this whole you know municipality issue, I mean that would that would seemingly be a big first step because I still don't I still understand the benefit of having all these small fiefdoms. I, I don't see a the efficiency. I don't see where the trust is with those a lot of those communities and their and their gov- and their and their government. And as we've seen the last two years, there's just been this narrative where citizens are viewed as, you know, ATMs or serfs of the government. And I don't care which side of the fence you stand on politically, that that doesn't sound right to me. And that and that would seem to go to the issue of trust and what needs to change in this, is this area.
0: Yeah, there's plenty of money in the St. Louis area to make it all work. But, you know, the, the wealthy areas aren't going to share it with the poorer areas and until the county and the city merge I think you're always going to have this kind of stuff because there's a lot of people that like to be the mayor and the police chief and the city manager well, of, all, yeah, of all these tiny little municipalities until they can all give that up and spread the money around instead of just having it in the central corridor I think we're still going to have problems
3: well I mean to me it just seems like the city has a huge revenue issue and you keep hearing about doing something about the uh, employment tax you know the payroll tax and yeah there doesn't seem to be an obvious option to that, and I just think other cities have have done things to change or augment their tax base that perhaps should get a hearing here and at least be thrown into a discussion as opposed to just going on this cycle of frustration and blaming and finger pointing and you know gee, I thought you know i I know a lot of cops here I mean we all do you know we're around sporting events that that are supervised by I mean you talk to these guys at rank and file you know they they know the score and they're there's a lot of frustration there too. So, if, if those guys see it, it, it you know, I, I believe it, and I just think that some of these panaceas and cliches, oh, give give the mayor control of the police, it'll make things better, blah blah blah. It just shifts the argument. Now we're talking about having to hire another 180, 190 cops, which is great, but then somebody's got to pay for it, and nobody can nobody can answer that question.
0: Right, and and the underlying problem is, is as you stated is the crime factor in the city, Or one of the good things about St. Louis is that you can drive a long distance without it taking you three hours to get there. You can get to Chesterfield or Oakville or Kirkwood or Florissant, one of these places, in, in 20 minutes. So you don't have to live in the city. And so the people that don't want to deal with the problems of the city with the crime, they just they drive for 15 minutes and they're home living somewhere safe. And so the city just continues to, to rot, much of it anyway.
3: There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of proactivity going on, at least effective proactivity and that's where i come back to saying hey you know solicit people from outside bring people in who've who've changed other areas or enacted change and i just don't see why that is such a uh... People get so viscerally opposed to that type of thing.
1: I'm anxious to see over the next decade if some of these people who have come here or been here and started up these tech businesses, in particular, if they emerge as leaders, or if they will, understandably so, focus on their businesses and not want to get into the politics and help um, restore, for lack of better terms, St. Louis to the greatness that it did at one time have. It's just been a long time since then.
3: There's a vacuum
1: of leadership, I suppose. Yeah, and and, and that's
3: that's. point i've kind of harped on since i moved here is again who is the most charismatic politician a in this city and b in this state and again i know charisma doesn't count for everything but it does count for something and uh because a lot of times that's what helps enact change and and again it's not a rhetorical question and you know i've stumped the band with it several times and isn't there value in this town to as you've suggested him giving voice to you know 40 somethings of black and white who, you know both from inside and outside the community to to give maybe a different perspective or a more pro, you know your word progressive i'm not i'm not even saying it has to be all progressive i think a counterbalance of some cons, you know more conservative ideas or or fiscally sane ideas would 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 have merit as well but just just do something to shake up the dialogue and again i'm not coming from a perspective that this is a detroit or you know, a Newark or you know a Gary or something, you know, some hellhole that, that has no chance. I think I think St. Louis has tremendous potential, which only adds to my you know vexation about where things stand. I mean, look at the landing and see what that could represent, and it's just it just sits there.
7: It's beautiful, though.
3: Yeah, how many cities are more enamored of their past than their future and, and can be considered great cities? I just I just don't see that, and again, I didn't grow up here, so maybe I'm missing something. But it, it just seems like at some point, don't doesn't it hurt your neck to be constantly looking behind you instead of what's in front of you? And I just uh, that's you know that's not a dislike of St. Louis. That's a frustration with something that could be better that is just seemingly encased in a in a time warp. And I think the cops have been unfairly maligned in a lot of the stuff that's gone on here in the last year plus. But again, what has happened is given rise in my interpretation to frustrations that long predate the last year and a half, and people are almost like looking for an excuse to vent about it. And this has given them their excuse, and now they're trying to, to, to maximize the opportunity. So I just wish something could be done, the energy could be funneled in a more positive way, and, and maybe some responsible voices arise that could enact change. Because in my read this is a city with a lot of potential i mean you look at the region there there are no great cities within 250 miles of st louis it's kind of got its own radius where it could it could attract from a lot of stuff but it just seems like it is a it it, it 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 rather remain in isolation as opposed to you know, broadening itself. Wildly entertaining stuff, guys. Wildly entertaining stuff,
1: guys. Throughout the course of the show today, we will be joined by um, numerous guests, all in tribute to Joe, uh, Ken Rosenthal, who wrote a beautiful piece on FoxSports.com yesterday. They worked together in Baltimore. Ken, good morning.
8: Good morning,
1: guys. Uh, I thought what you wrote yesterday, and I know a number of uh, people in St. Louis thought as well, was such a brilliant tribute to Joe Uh, not just the man you knew when you worked with him in Baltimore, the man you continue to know, but also what journalists should aspire to be. And your ability to convey that in a moment of grief was uh, truly phenomenal.
8: Well, I appreciate that. I had given this a lot of thought, to be perfectly honest. And a number of us knew that Joe was really sick. And obviously, because I was close with him, I knew that I would want to write something. And... I just thought this was the best thing I could write under the circumstances. And actually, it's really sad even to think about this, but I had carved out yesterday to write that even before I knew that he had passed because I'm going on vacation and I wanted to make sure I had it ready. So it turned out, obviously, early Sunday morning, Joe passes away and then I knew that we all knew that was possible that night, and I really didn't sleep much and woke up at six and just wrote it. And those kinds of things, in my view, they're hit and miss. Sometimes you write it, it's good, sometimes you write it, it's kind of overwrought or whatever, but the reaction was pretty positive, and I just the only thing that comforts me about it is that it gives people some insight into Joe, and Joe was not a simple guy, and he was not always an easy guy. But from my perspective, having worked with him for four years, literally side by side, he was just a great journalist and a great friend. And that is why this is so crushing to all of us. What just is so difficult is that he's 54, and we all know that's too soon. And again, as I wrote, and I think others have written this too, this is a guy that because he was so tough that when he got leukemia, I thought, ah, uh, that, this is a guy who will be able to beat that. But, of course, that's stupid thinking because the disease, it, it's not something that is defined that way or it could be handled that way. There's luck involved. There's all kinds of things involved. And, unfortunately, he had a really tough strain, and that was the heartbreaking part of it.
0: Ken, as we're, uh, everyone, everyone's mourning, but we're also trying to, to celebrate his life today, any funny stories or anecdotes that when you think of Joe that that bring a smile to your face from your days working with him?
8: Well, this emanates from (laughs) when we were in Baltimore. John Miller left, and John Miller, of course, is the great radio announcer now for the Giants, San Francisco Giants. He had worked for ESPN and really one of the great Hall of Fame announcers in history. And the Orioles, of course, thought he was too critical because he said, the score and they were losing or something like that and they replaced him with a guy that (laughs) joe and i among others perceived to be a cheerleader and frankly in defense of this person i don't know that he had much choice so he would say things on the radio this announcer such as don't believe what you read in the sun from joe and me here's what's really going on so Joe started this phrase, everybody up, because basically he was cheerleading for the team and and Rick wrote about it really well today. It was kind of it became kind of an all purpose phrase for all <laughs> <boys>. <laughs> but that that was something that again, and I wrote about this, that when you are kind of in the trenches reporting with someone, and listen, I'm not pretending this is anything more than baseball. It's baseball. It's not politics or war or anything international of true meaning but we had some battles that we fought together against certain people with the orioles and when that happens and you're up against it and the whole town telling you you're a liar form a bond and we always had that bond and it was really special and i won't forget that
2: you're listening to swopes picks on 590 the fan and InsideSTL.com. And we're pleased now to be joined by Tim McKernan. Tim, what's up? Hi, Buck Swope. So this episode focuses on Joe Strauss and also kind of his critique of St. Louis. And I feel like Joe was objective about St. Louis in ways that I think a lot of us who grew up here were unable to be. What, what do you remember about how he was able to size up St. Louis as opposed to people that grew up here.
1: Uh, I liked his candor. I think that he spoke from a place of wanting to see it be better. But I think oftentimes uh, some in St. Louis take criticism in particular from someone who didn't grow up in St. Louis, uh, take it personally. And if the observations are not positive, then dismiss them. And uh, I think that's unfortunate because I think Joe had a lot of good things to say.
2: Yeah. And I think what's, what's striking about a lot of the audio that's from 2015 is, you know, not much has changed. If anything, you know, it's just kind of we're trending, we're slowly either treading water or trending downward. I know the big uh Baltimore, coincidentally, Baltimore just passed us uh, in, in terms of metro area population. And Joe spends a significant amount of time uh, talking about Baltimore versus St. Louis and also Atlanta uh, versus St. Louis, the two other markets that he had worked in. And mm-hmm. uh, just kind of how Atlanta seems to have figured it out, you know, over the last 35 years, whereas St. Louis just seems to just kind of do that. I, I don't know. I don't really know what the problem is with St. Louis. Like I I grew up here. I I enjoy it here. I see a lot of dysfunction and I'm not really sure where to begin as someone that's, you know, owned owned and operated a business and has uh dealt with, you know, some degree of red tape in dealing with different government entities, wh- what do you think uh, you know, wh- what are the first steps in terms of kind of shifting not just shifting the narrative but happy talk but actual like as uh Joe would say tectonic shifts that need to change, where do you think it begins?
1: Um, Well, I think the merger of St. Louis city and county would be a huge step. Uh, I'm a monster advocate of that for that. I think that's something that has bipartisan support. Uh, It certainly isn't universally supported, uh, but I certainly think that there is support from both people, who would consider themselves conservatives and consider themselves liberals. Recently, I interviewed Gene McNary, uh, a big Donald Trump supporter, former St. Louis County executive, and he has a fallback plan if the merger doesn't work uh, for the borough system, which is uh, unique to the United States, minus obviously the New York area. Um, But I think that would be a huge step in the right direction because a number of these cities that really – you know, as I said to Gene McNary when we were talking, we used to in St. Louis, you know, when I was in school at Missouri, for example, like the Kansas City thing, like the weirdness of that in, 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 in inferiority complex that was going on in the mid-1990s in Kansas City with St. Louis, It w- didn't even think anything of Kansas City. Not that people are like obsessed with Kansas City at all now, but the point is we were looking forward growth as opposed to going, oh, there goes Louisville, there goes Indianapolis, there goes Nashville. Uh, Those were cities that you weren't even really thinking of at that time. And yet they're passing St. Louis by. So um, I would love to see the merger of the county and the city as a big first step in the right direction.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I talked to a lot of different people in my client base about that about the merger specifically and i sense there's a lot of resistance to it from the parts of the county that are as you would expect you know kind of in the safe bubble and they're just worried about uh having either the dysfunction of st louis city spreading to there you know spreading out there or the tax burden i i kind of view the 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 first step maybe as We just got to get the crime problem solved, like not necessarily merging, you know, all aspects of the government, but there needs to be some sort of centralized strategy for what are we doing about crime? Because it seems like downtown has crime problems, different parts of the city have crime problems, different parts of the county have crime problems. And it just seems like if all we have all these little fiefdoms kind of treating crime differently, and some of them just straight up... Treating people as ATMs and just pulling them over on the highway and, and just kind of operating as just tax collectors, uh, so I I don't necessarily know that there's it's politically possible to do a merger, but I think everybody would be on board with kind of a a law enforcement merger or at least some sort of um, accountability where there's a central. I mean, nobody wants to see more bureaucracy, but there has to be there has to be a better way to do it than we've been doing it, because it seems like the crime is the the number one thing that's holding us back. And then the other aspect is in terms of like the TIFFs and all the public money that's given away to these different developments and. It just seems like they're all fighting with each other. And, you know, Walmart comes in, builds a a strip mall here. And then 20 years later, they move to a different part of the county where they get another tax deal. And it just seems like that's been going on kind of unchecked forever. Maybe it's slowing down now, but it just seems like there isn't really a centralized growth strategy for the region. It's all, again, it's all these little fiefdoms that are all kind of on their own little, in their own little bubble. And you have a lot of tax incentives going but it doesn't necessarily boost the region as a whole so maybe something on that i don't it really has to be driven by the business community you know it needs to be something that people are going to buy into it can't be something that's imposed on it i think if we impose it on people then you're going to see a lot of resistance to it so i don't know i'd like to see the dialogue continue i'm just i'm just not really sure what the first step is so i i just thought that was something we should talk about yeah um, let's talk about your relationship with Joe specifically. I know you've alluded to it a little bit, um, that he was, I don't know if mentor would be the right word, but he was there for you during some of your rougher periods in running inside STL. Uh, so Ken Rosenthal spoke about his relationship with, with Joe and kind of when they were being accused of lying or when the they, they were basically not towing the, the Orioles company line and his kind of bond with, with Joe on that front. Can you, can you talk about the bond you had with Joe kind of whenever you were going through turmoil and, and kind of what, what guidance he gave you or what advice he gave you when, uh, when everybody was out to get you?
1: You know, I, I guess with, with Joe and with Brian Burwell, specifically when I was dealing with the Albert Pools uh Jack Clark stuff just I mean I would I called everybody at the station and explained to them you know exactly what was going on stuff I still haven't talked about publicly probably never will because there's no upside in doing so uh and I just remember Brian Burwell for example saying you could have your hand in my pocket with your hand on my wallet and I would trust you that you have your my best interest at heart and I'm just like my god that's coming from, from Brian Burwell, who I guess was probably 20 some odd years older than me and established, you know, not only in the market, but nationally, that was a great compliment. And, uh, you know, Joe was more of a, you know, kind of in the, uh, I told you, told you so with certain things, but he was a guy, he was one of the only guys that I would be uh, one of the only guys I would get on the phone with, you know, uh, you just don't really talk on the phone. I text. And I would look forward to those conversations with Joe, you know, because uh, they'd just be enlightening, they'd be fun, they'd be opinionated. And I always felt like it was important when he passed away, you know, everybody knew, even if they didn't agree with Brian Burwell, with, with the exception of, you know, which of course in St. Louis is a, an unfortunately a, a decent percentage uh, of bigots, Uh, I think everybody knew, even if they disagreed with him, they could tell he was a really likable guy with Joe because of his persona, which was, you know, on the radio and on Twitter. um, You know, people are like, oh, maybe this guy is just a, you know, whatever. And I'm just like the person that you would hear on Twitter is not a read or hear on the radio is not, you know, is not who he really is. He's just really a good guy, but he would never want it's like he didn't want people to know that it was like the WWE heel face thing, you know? And that's, that's, that's why it was so important to me to make sure that I got that out there and continue to get that out there.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I have to say that in just going back and listening to the audio, you did manage to get his character to come out in a few windows where he just kind of let his guard down and he would just talk, you know, and he would just go and, he wasn't trying to rile anybody up. He was just kind of giving his honest assessment, and he wanted to get the truth out there. He believed in accurate reporting, and he believed he didn't really care who whose toes he stepped on. He wanted to, and he wasn't afraid to express his opinion. So, um, I appreciate you taking time to to remember him. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Any memories of Joe you have that you want to get on the record now while we're while we're talking about him?
1: You no, know, I just I mean he, he's missed. You know, I mean, he's he's so missed and it's it's you knew he was going to be missed because he was one of and maybe the only voice of credible dissent in St. Louis sports. You know, I'd like to think I dissent, but, you know, some people I'm sure would disregard my opinions because I, you know, whatever, talk about stag films or something like that, whatever would be convenient to disregard me. Fine. But Joe was there, Joe covered the teams, and Joe would write things or or say things that certainly weren't popular, but he said them because he believed them to be true. And then he would build his case like an attorney and lay out facts, and then he would challenge people. And I think that's healthy. Just like Brian Burwell, unfortunately, they are appreciated much more uh, now that they're gone than when they were here. Yeah and 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 we are missing the voices of credible dissent you would look forward to reading or listening to him on the radio because you wanted to hear what he had to say and I, and since his passing i just don't feel like that that has been replaced and and candidly i just don't think it it will and that's that's why i hold him in such high regard and then the other element that i talk about often is the fact that you know, he cared. He did care. Like I said, it wasn't like, oh, everything's going to be all right. They did you wrong. It wasn't that, you know, he's, I guess, probably, I don't know, 17 to 18 years older than me. uh, So it wouldn't necessarily be a father figure role. And I wouldn't call it a mentor, but he would talk about, you know, some of the stuff that we'd be dealing with in part just because he was just fascinated by just how stupid it was. I mean, and so I think he was you know, kind of amused by like the characters who would come and go, whether it be on air and radio or behind the scenes and radio and just be like, how is, you know, when you're talking about like laughing at St. Louis, I mean, that's, that's a perfect part of the narrative is just the, just, just like how bizarre some of this stuff is. And so unnecessarily so, uh, and he would enjoy talking about that, but you know, he, he knew the truth. And so, you know, he's a supporter of the truth. And if he thought I was wrong, he would have told me I he thought I was wrong, but he knew what was going on. He knew how messed up it was. And, and so in that capacity, you know, if, if Joe Strauss is on your side, you, you can feel even more comfortable about being in the right, even though I knew the truth myself. So I knew where I stood on a variety of these things. But, uh, you know, you know, he's not going to oh, go. It's going to be OK or, yeah, they're doing you wrong when he doesn't feel that way. And also we would disagree on, you know, whether it be political philosophy or something along those lines. It was just a higher end discussion. And uh, and, and the segment that you're playing in this showed uh, is an illustration of that, because I don't think that was a discussion that we were planning on getting into. We just kind of wound up in it and it wound up being, uh, you know, and that happened a couple times. It happened with the sports media critique uh, discussion with him and the cat really more so than me. And then, and then this one that you're playing, it, that just shows what he's able to do.
2: Yeah. Lambert, he would call it Hooterville. You know, I don't know. I don't travel that much right now because I have I have young children and uh, I haven't I haven't been to Lambert in a few years. Is it getting better? Is it still the same? Is it is there any tangible progress? What is better? What would even progress be? Um, What are your? I just real? What are your thoughts on Lambert? And does it matter? He, Joe seemed to think that it did, because it's like, this is the first impression that people get of your city when they get here. And I I don't know. I was just curious. Well what, I mean what to your answer thoughts the
1: question, here, here, Here's a perfect Straussian dilemma for me. In my opinion, it's horrible. Now I also know what's going to happen is then they'll get backlash and emails and hate because there are, there are a handful of people who really are hypersensitive to the airport thing uh and it's like okay here we go it's just like me saying yeah you know, st louis has some issues and then it's like what are you talking about where have you been well i got the guy went to saw the royals play a game okay sweet and i went to wrigley and that's just a different city it's like okay it's there's a reason why people are not dying to move to st louis but if you think it's something related to the weather fair enough but then look at the numbers for people moving to minneapolis for example i don't believe it's exactly a tropical paradise up there but i digress the point being um, you know, I, with, with, when it comes to my travel, it's not like I'm going all over the world. I haven't been, it's not like I'm even going all over the country these days. I pretty much go to the same handful of spots, but comparatively speaking, Lambert is, is, is just, it's just, it's just not good. Now, with that said, there are some things that are moving it in the right direction. Um, and you know, like, uh, with the, I guess it's the East terminal and they've, they've added on their, um, And so hopefully it'll, it'll move in in the right direction. But his criticism of Lambert was right on target. I would imagine a number of people who travel a great deal would, would validate that. Uh, If, you know, and and if you travel, you know, and I'm talking about you specifically but somebody in the audience, you travel and you've traveled to 20 cities over the last two years, and you feel like Lambert's one of the, in the top 25% of the airports, then God bless America. Because as I'm saying, what I say about criticism of St. Louis, right now, different than when I was traveling to all these games with the Cardinals and Rams and Blues back in the day, it's not like I'm seeing all of these airports. Um, but you know, there are times where I land at Lambert and I feel like I'm landing like in a small city in Kentucky and you wait for a half hour for your bags and you're just kind of used to it. Whereas if that were to happen, you know, in another airport, like they'd be there'd be people raising up. And it's just kind of like this is just kind of what you expect. But if there are improvements, and I see improvements, uh, ideally that that changes, but Strauss, uh, I think the criticism of Lambert calling it Hooterville was not only amusing, but I think one of the reasons why it was amusing was because those of us who do travel know that uh, it 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 just, you know, for me, for let me put it this way, St. Louis is the 21st media market in the country, and you know of of there's i can't imagine unless i'm missing one i mean like Laguardia for example is a hellhole uh at the same time they obviously have an absurd amount of people going through there uh it just doesn't it's just you know in comparison it just you know it it took a hit of course with twa and then american uh you know with the buyout and then american moving the hub so you know the more flights that come and go and uh ideally eventually a hub would be beautiful uh and and perhaps it can get get back on track
2: yeah i mean it really is tale of two airports i think the uh the east terminal the southwest terminal versus the main terminal um you know i 99% of my flights are Southwest. So that's what I deal with. And, you know, it seems like it's always busy when I'm there, but I get it. If you're walking through the other part of the big part of the airport, there's, you know, if there's hardly any activity, it just looks like a right. town, but, um, we'll see. We'll see if they can figure it out. I know, uh, I think there's a Three Kings opening up. Uh, I know one of Joe's things was, oh, just get me to the bar and it's all shut down. Well, I think there's a Three Kings that's opening out there this summer that uh, I assume would be open late, you know, if you're a business traveler and you get in on, at like 9 p.m. on a weeknight and you just want to, you know, get a quick bite to eat and a couple drinks before you leave the airport. I would think that if there's a place that's open that can that can help you out with that, then uh, that would be a step in the right direction. Yes, sir. Well, thanks for taking the time. Uh, We will see you when you get back. I assume you'll be back at some point. You're not going to stay in Florida forever. And and, uh, we'll see you. I guess we'll see you next TMA Live that you're in town for.
1: That's right. That's right. Thank you, Buck Swope.
2: You're
7: listening to Swope's Picks on 590 The Fan and InsideSTL.com.
2: Swope here, reminding you that all episodes of Swope's Picks are available for download at InsideSTL.com. You can also find Swope's Picks on iTunes in the comedy section under S for Swope. Once again, I'd like to thank Tim McKernan for joining us. Oh Get on with it, muff mother- Get on with it, mother- Oh Get on with it, muff. Mother- thank you for listening to Swope's Picks. Enjoy the matchup.
0: Boy shorts, boy shorts. Gonna be a lot of boy shorts. There's a lot of bad things going on. Yeah, weird things.
6: Getting posted up by my P.E. teacher down on the low blocks.
1: Our
2: pigs (laughs) play really well!
6: Got nice little teardrop nips.
0: Mmm. Mmm. Maybe the greatest ass in the history of adult entertainment.
2: Usually...
1: I get kind of caught up in nostalgia, and then that that makes me a better bottom.
0: And that was the difference.
6: And it's going to sound sexual, but it isn't. When you're pleasuring yourself to your Adam Durris. Oh, oh, oh.
5: oh! Yeah, no!
0: Yeah, it turned out to be a real bad idea. <laughs> boy shorts, boy shorts. going to be a lot of boy shorts.
5: That's right, that's right.
0: Show me on the doll where the twink touched you.
5: It's a question.
0: Just listening and
2: learning.
3: When he not with there. And guys wanted to be with him. But.
0: Multiple partners in the band <laughs> I can't hear you. Uh, well, those, those are twinks. Okie dokie, kokey dokie. Cluck, cluck, spend
5: a buck. Cluck, cluck.
6: Sex! Hey guys, stay well. Please, oh- Tim
5: here? I had sex and now dad is dead. So what'd your grandma think?
6: Let's slow clap it out.
0: They were reusing a brush on their ass. Mm-mm. No. I mean, it's quite obvious at this point, someone is being lied to. How about...
2: How about that whole, how about that whole deal?